Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. We pray that you grow in your walk with God through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching by our group life pastor, Tim Smith. Don't we all have situations where we've come on where we'd like somebody just to set aside the law just this once? And maybe it's in a traffic stop with getting a ticket, or maybe it's a situation where financially you have made some mistakes, and now you're just hoping that the, the bank or whoever it is you owe will kind of extend that line and give you some uh, period of grace. Or maybe it's a relationship where you have forgotten a date, or you've done some other bonehead thing that has really made it, made it sour, and you're just hoping your mate or the person that's so special to you will cut you some slack. Or maybe you're standing in front of a judge, and you're just hoping and praying for leniency. There must be dozens of scenarios that we could paint where we would want to cry out, have mercy. Well, as we continue in our series on the Beatitudes, I'd just invite you to turn to in your Bibles or in your uh, devices to Matthew 5. We have really come now, though, to a dividing point in these eight sayings. The first four have been about my relationship vertically to God. We found out that we need to admit and recognize we're sinners, we're poor in spirit, and therefore we need to repent and turn from that sin. We need to mourn, tell God we're sorry, and when we've done those two things, we find out that, you know what, the best way I can be strong is to let God have control of my life, to ask Jesus to be the director of my life. That's the best definition of meekness, which brought us to last week where we found that when we did those first three things, we found a hunger and a thirst for more of him, to have a craving for his righteousness and his ways. Well, now that Jesus has established what we need to do in our vertical relationship with God, I'll just be real honest with you. It gets harder because now he's going to talk about our horizontal relationship to each other. And he begins with what some have called the law of direct return. Or somebody once said, this is Jesus' boomerang blessing. He says, your happiness will be built on a solid foundation. Your happiness will be a happiness that lasts. You'll be happy many times over when you show mercy to others because then mercy will be shown to you. And we certainly, like the girl in the traffic stop, have come on times where we need mercy shown to us. But Jesus makes the point in this fifth saying that the amount of mercy that you show to others will be directly proportionate to the amount of mercy you will receive. Since that's the case, let's look very closely at what Jesus has to say about being merciful. First of all, we need to understand fully what Jesus means here when he says, Blessed or blessed are the merciful. The word Jesus uses for mercy or merciful here is the Greek word elias, and it is full of wonderful meaning. In fact, it's used to describe a very attribute of God. God in Ephesians 2 is said to be rich in mercy, in elias. Titus 3.5 tells us that we are actually saved by God's mercy. And Peter says in 1 Peter 1.3, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. You see, Elias, at its very root, carries with it the meaning of being washed over. 
In fact, in the culture that Jesus lived in and that the scripture was written, it is used in the context of whitewashing a wall or in wiping out an impurity or in canceling a debt. You see, mercy goes beyond sympathy to empathy. And that brings us to our sermon in a sentence. Mercy is action, not reaction. And it has in its key word, the word forgiveness. Now, even the word forgiveness, though, can be too weak unless we understand that we're not only to wipe out the injury done to us by another, but we're actually to participate in helping them to recovery. And that's the rub, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing for us to say, you know what, I'm going to forgive. I'm not going to hold a grudge anymore. But to become actively involved in giving mercy? And yet, mercy's clearest definition is Jesus Christ himself. Because our Lord didn't just sit up in heaven and passively say, hey, ali, ali, and free. Anybody who wants to believe in me, I'll just forgive them, and I don't really have to get that involved. No. John 3.16, which probably everybody in this room has at least seen, does not say, for God so loved the world, that whoever believes in the Son will have everlasting life. It says, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He got involved. He gave his one and only Son. And I think that is a great transition to something we do every week here and that's communion. So if you're serving communion, if you'd go to the back to begin to prepare to serve for us, because we need to understand that Jesus didn't just step out of heaven, he stepped up to the cross. And he did that in order to demonstrate his mercy, his alias, to wipe out our sins with his blood. In fact, listen to 1 John 4, 9. It says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might have life. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. Atoning means substitutionary. In other words, he became the substitute for me and for you. It wasn't just a martyr's death. It was an atoning, a substitutional sacrifice for our sin. So in just a moment, a trail will be passed down your row. If you choose to participate, take that individual piece of bread that represents his body, that individual cup that represents his blood, and then pass the trail on and take just a few moments to remember Jesus didn't just give mercy. He acted out his mercy by paying the penalty for our sins. Because God is perfect in his love, but he's also perfect in his justice, so sin had to be paid for, and that's exactly what Jesus did. He paid our penalty, so we didn't have to. Now that we have discussed the definition of mercy, that it's elias, that it is a wiping out, a washing away, a canceling, if you will, and that we've had a chance to remember how Jesus actually acted it out, The question we've got to ask this morning is, how do I apply this principle to my everyday life? Well, here are some marks of mercy. Three ways that as we talk about this, I want you to just kind of evaluate your present situation in terms of how merciful you really are and to look at this as a challenge too because I'll just warn you straight up, what we're going to talk about now is hard. 
This is not an easy thing. There is no just real soft way to do this. So we're going to look at three marks of mercy as Jesus would have us look hard, and I hope that you'll look inside yourself as well as at your actions and evaluate it as we look at this. Here's the first one. If I'm a merciful person, I'll help those who are hurting. Proverbs 3.27 says this, Do not withhold good from those who need it. Sometimes some translations say those who deserve it when it is in your power to act. Please understand, mercy is practical assistance. It is love in action. 1 John 3, 17 says this, Now suppose a person had enough to live on and notices another in need. How can God's love be in that person if he doesn't bother to help? Dear children, we must show love through actions, not through empty words. Now, I don't know about you, but those verses have a tendency to just be like a dagger in my heart because I know there have been times when I've been able to extend mercy and I have not done it. Now, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that there's something that we ought to be able to do to where we enable people to hurt themselves. That's not what I'm talking about at all. But I know that while I may not have felt good about giving money to somebody who says, you know what, I'm hungry, I could have walked across and got a Subway sandwich for them. Or I could have gone to McDonald's and said, if you'll stay right here, I'll go get you a meal and bring it back to you. It means practical assistance. It means getting involved. That's one of the characteristics of a merciful person. They don't mind getting involved. In fact, have you seen very recently the Facebook post by Joey Mustaine and his 11-year-old daughter who went to breakfast at Chick-fil-A in Murfreesboro, Tennessee? Here is this principle acted out. This is what Joey posted. He said, I took Stella to Chick-fil-A today. It's our normal daddy-daughter spot. We took a booth right next to the spot where you wait for your drink to be refreshed, and we had a front row seat to this beautiful scene. A homeless traveler had walked in and asked if they had any scraps or extra food. Mud was wet, mud was wet and caked on his well-traveled shoes. His hair was matted and his beard was too. His body odor was so noticeable, people just kind of parted from him, and even people who started to come up to him backed off and kept their distance. But he just nodded at others and asked for the manager, smiling as he waited. The manager came out and all told, all saw this homeless man. And this guy, though, said to him, listen, I would love to give you a full warm meal, not just scraps or extras. The only thing the manager required was that the man let him pray with him. After the homeless man agreed, there was no waiting for things to die down. There was no scooting anyone to the side. As busy as they were, the manager laid his hand on the man and proceeded to pray. And I heard love in that prayer. The homeless man wasn't some untouchable sin on his business or stain. I asked Stella to watch, and she stared, and then she bowed her head too. That's mercy. Helping the hurting when you are able. Here's number two. If I am merciful, I'll forgive those who have fallen. Ask yourself this question. When someone makes a mistake, do I rub it in or do I rub it out? Here's Colossians 3.13. It says, be gentle and ready to forgive. Never hold grudges. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Interesting thing about forgiveness, you know, when you're called to receive it, it's so easy and it feels so right. But when you're called to give it, it's so hard. 
and it feels so wrong. Now, let's make sure that we understand the mercy that shows forgiveness in this context. You can only do good to someone who hurts you when you finally refuse to hold a grudge. Forgiving the fallen, especially when they've fallen on you, like they've slandered you or they've physically hurt you or they stole from you, does not mean you have to become bosom buddies with them. Neither does it mean that you have to go back into that abusive relationship or lend money to the person that you know is going to use it for drugs or some hurtful action. But what it does mean is that you show mercy by not holding a grudge anymore, by letting it go. Gentle, never holding a grudge. It's what Jesus says, you forgive them from your heart. Now, this is especially important as we talk about the rest of this mark and the next one of mercy. Sometimes, though, when somebody's really hurt you and you're holding a grudge, you sometimes want to ask, well, how many times do I have to show mercy? Or how long do I have to let this grudge go? Well, if you've ever wondered about that, you're not alone. In fact, the apostle Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, asked the exact same question in Matthew 18. It's interesting, in Matthew 18, Jesus is just finished talking about how to handle personal conflict. And in verses 15, 16, 17, and 18 of this chapter, he says this, if somebody sins against you, if somebody hurts you, first you go to them personally. See if you can work something out and then take others with you. No, whoa, 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 wait. <laughs> you telling me that I'm not the one that hurt anybody, I'm the one that's been hurt, and I've got to go to the person who's hurt me? No way. They ought to be coming on their hands and knees begging me for forgiveness. Why should I initiate anything? And yet Jesus says in Matthew 18, 15, if someone hurts you, go and tell them. Go to them and work it out between the two of you. So after this discussion... Peter apparently understands what he's to do. He just wants to know how many times he has to do it. <laughs> in fact, in his context, the rabbis taught that you were to forgive three times, and then on the fourth time, there would be no forgiveness. You weren't to hold a grudge if they hurt you three times, but on the fourth time, you could hold the biggest grudge you wanted. And Peter must have thought of himself as big-hearted because when he came to Jesus with this question, he said, listen, how many times should I forgive Jesus? Seven times? I mean, that's over twice as many as the rabbis were telling him to forgive. He must have thought he was really big-hearted. <laughs> but Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now this blows Peter and the rest of the disciples away because Jesus is using a numerical phrase here that basically means infinity. In other words, a merciful person doesn't limit the times that they forgive. So a merciful person is one who can forgive the fallen, even when they have fallen upon you. But that doesn't just apply to those who have sinned against you, but it also applies to people, maybe even family members, that make mistakes again and again that you can't understand. Listen, all of us are vulnerable to, vulnerable to temptation. Maybe you can't understand how somebody could have an ego problem, but they don't understand how you struggle with gossip. Maybe you just can't conceive how anybody could ever become addicted to drugs, but they can't fathom your inability to deal with greed or, or lust. How do you treat the fallen? Here's a key. Merciful people don't point a finger, they lend a hand. 
to help. Being merciful is being willing to forgive the fallen, those who hurt you and those who make mistakes you can't understand. But here's a third mark of mercy, and I'm going to tell you straight up, this is the hardest. It says, if I'm a merciful person, I'll do good to my enemies. Now, you might go, oh, can we not just skip this one? Because <laughs> this one is really tough. But listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. But love your enemies, catch this, do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your heavenly Father is merciful. One of the tangible marks of spiritual maturity is when you not only don't hold a grudge, but you can actually do good to your enemies. Now, that is exactly the opposite of what the world says, right? The world basically says, listen, when people hurt you, you hurt them back. You've heard it. I don't get mad. I get even. Yeah. But God says, no, 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 no. That's being a reactor. Remember, mercy is action, not reaction. And he says, not only are do we forgive them, not hold a grudge against them, but we're also actually supposed to extend goodness to them, treat them well. Now listen, I know that it is really easy to sit up here and talk about this. It is really hard to do. I understand that from my own personal experience too. Because I really believe that Jesus here is not just talking about the person who hurt you maybe once or twice, but it's been a lifetime of hurt. Or, or they have just made it their lifelong goal, lifelong goal to hurt you again and again by bullying you or keeping, trying to bring you harm, keeping you from, from feeling good about yourself. But Jesus is saying, listen, one of the mercies identifying marks here is to good do, do good to those who hurt us repeatedly. And I got to tell you, I don't understand all the theological in, insets and in concepts of that. I just know that's what he says. <laughs> and I need help doing it. So how do we apply this beatitude? We're helpful to those who are hurting we're forgiven of, forgiving of the fallen, and we treat well even those who are mean to us. That's mercy, and that is a tall, tall order. So we need some powerful motivators to help us accomplish this. Let me offer two. One of the reasons that you're merciful, one of the reasons to show mercy is because God is merciful to me. Like that's the whole point of a story that Jesus told that's called the parable of the unmerciful servant. Let me, let me read it. Let's read it as we, as we look at this motivation. It says, The kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants. As he got underway, one servant was brought before him who had run up a debt of $100,000. Make sure you keep that money amount in mind. He couldn't pay up, so the king ordered the man, along with his wife, children, and goods, to be auctioned off at the slave market. The poor wretch threw himself at the king's feet and begged, Give me a chance, and I'll pay it all back. Touched by his plea, the king let him off, erasing the debt. The servant was no sooner out of the room when he came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him $10. Remember the difference? He seized him by the throat and demanded, Pay up now. 
The poor wretch threw himself down and begged, give me a chance, I'll pay it all back. But he wouldn't do it. He had him arrested and put in jail until the debt was paid. Well, when the other servants saw this going on, they were outraged and they brought a detailed report to the king. The king summoned the man and said, you evil servant, I forgave your entire debt when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you be compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asked for mercy? And this merciful king throws the evil servant in debtor's prison until he can pay his debt. Now, this, this parable, this story, I think, assumes two things. First of all, it assumes there are going to be people who mistreat you. There are going to be people who owe you and won't pay, who will make your life miserable, who are really jerks. You know it's true. We've got jerks all around us. No eyes, no elbows, you know. But we know it's true. We're going to be mistreated at times. But listen, listen, here's the second thing. When people are jerking you around and you're having a hard time dealing with them, just remember the times that you've been a jerk to God. When I think of all the flack that God has had to take from Tim Smith, all the times I've done it my own way, all the dumb stunts I've pulled, all the ways I've sinned, and yet God continues to extend his love and his mercy. If he can be merciful to me with all, of I, all that I've done, can I not be merciful to others? I think this ought to be a daily prayer. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Help me to be merciful to others today. But there's a second motivator here in giving mercy, and that's understanding that I'm going to need mercy in the future. You know, I don't expect to be perfect until I die or until Jesus returns. Do you? And there's going to be some times when I'm going to need mercy. James 2.13 says this, No mercy will be shown to those who have not been merciful. In other words, you get what you give. <laughs> what goes around comes around. Mercy is not what we deserve. It's what we desperately need. And we ought to be motivated to give it because, first of all, God has been incredibly merciful to me, but also because there's going to be some times when I'm going to need it. And that, says Jesus, is the satisfaction part of this beatitude. Blessed Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. That's why some call this the boomerang blessing. <laughs> you give mercy, and by being known as a merciful person, when you need mercy, you're more often than not going to have the satisfaction of receiving it. But you know, there's a more sobering principle here that I think Scripture is giving, and that is, if you're not merciful you're not going to receive mercy. Or as Jesus puts it, the unforgiving are unforgiven. In fact, the last verse after the story Jesus tells about this servant, he, he says this. This is how my heavenly father, the way this situation happened in that story, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. The servant that refused to forgive was in turn refused forgiveness. Now, once again, I am not sure of all the theological implications of that, but that's what Jesus says. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in that spot. And that 
being merciful is obviously incredibly important to God and ought to be mightily important to us too. In fact, maybe that's why Proverbs eleven seventeen says this, the merciful man helps himself. You see, when we're merciful, we get to enjoy God's mercy. And this is important. When we're merciful, we're able to forgive others and ourselves. Do you understand that principle? Let me ask you, what do you do when you're hurt? Do you put the fire out or do you stoke it up until it heats up? Do you get over it or do you get even? Do you let your hearts heal or do you let your heart turn to hate? Because what's building in you if you let your heart turn to hate is resentment. In fact, that may be a good definition for resentment, hurt turned to hate. Because resentment is the deliberate decision to nurse the offense until it becomes a growling grudge. That grudge is one of those words that kind of defines itself, you know? Say it with me slowly. Grudge. You hear it? Grudge. Kind of like a mongrel dog defending his bone. Grudge. Come to think of it, being around a resentful person and a growling dog ends up being equally enjoyable because being around a person that's filled with resentment is not a delight. And let's just say that you get even. Let's say you get back. Imagine yourself standing over the corpse of the one who hurt you so deeply. Happy now? Listen, listen. Without forgiveness, bitterness is all you have left. And Jesus wants more for you than that because he knows mercy can set you free. If you are resentful today, And I'm not saying you don't deserve to be resentful. I'm just saying if you're still resentful today, I beg you, allow the hole in your heart to heal. Please, please take some time to always remember the mercy, how much mercy God has shown to you. When you do that, you'll find that you can show mercy even in the most difficult circumstances. Robert Shuler tells the story about Bernice Shug. Bernice, he met Bernice when she needed work, and they hired her as a housekeeper. But he says nobody knew about Bernice's hidden hurt. One day she came to Schuler and she said, Bob, I read the bulletin, and I noticed you're having a guest speaker next Sunday who was a kamikaze pilot. Schuler nodded, telling Bernice that this particular pilot had a tremendous story about finding Jesus. She said, well, that may be true. But my boy was killed in World War II by a kamikaze pilot. I will not be there. I couldn't handle it. And Robert said to her, well, you know, I understand. Missing one Sunday is not going to kill you or hurt you. And then Schuler writes, The next week, the Japanese pilot shared his story. His love and gratitude for Jesus shone from his eyes. You could feel the love and release that he had found. People were moved by his testimony. And when the service was over, I walked with him back down the aisle to the rear of the church. Suddenly, as we approached the last pew, an older woman stepped out directly in our path. She stood firmly in front of the kamikaze pilot and blocked his exit. She looked him squarely in the eye and said, my son was killed by a kamikaze. It was Bernice. We all held our breath as she continued. I have seen how God has forgiven you your sins, and tonight, for the first time in 40 years, I've allowed him to forgive mine. Will you forgive me for my hatred for your people? And 
with tears streaming down this young pilot's face. He said, oh, will you forgive me for what my people did to you? And Bernice threw her arms around this little Japanese man, and there they stood holding each other, both of them crying, weeping with peace and release, tears of joy. Because blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Oh, Lord, we so desperately need your help in this. I just would ask that you would transform our hearts to be instruments of your mercy. May we be a living reflection of your unfathomable love and the fact that you were willing to wipe out all of our sins. May I help the hurting. May I forgive the fallen. May I even treat well those who mistreat me, even if that's repeatedly, by remembering your mercy and your love. In the name of Jesus, amen. You know, maybe this morning you you know you need to have a hard conversation with somebody, that you have been hurt, and that you need to initiate that. And I know that's tough. If you need prayer for that, we'll be up here to help you. Maybe you're the offender, and maybe there's a letter you need to write, or a phone call you need to make, or a visit you need to have to begin the healing of your heart and the one you've hurt. Maybe you have never experienced God's mercy. If that's your case, in a minute as we sing this song, I just want you to remember the words of an amazing love that welcomes you. It's the kindness of his mercy. If you have any of those needs, We'll have people up here to help you if you want to do that right where you sit or stand. You can do that too. But let's this morning be the moment where we say, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown and have been again and again by God. Mercy. Let's stand and sing. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at